0: Let us pray. God of life, by the power of your spirit, come to us now. Plow our hearts with your living word until we who are broken become fertile with your love. For we long to bear fruit in a world that is wasting. Amen. So, today we continue our sermon series, Jesus Uncensored, on the topsy-turvy teachings of Jesus according to Luke. It's this whole string of passages in Luke's story of Jesus that seem to challenge what we think Jesus is all about. He's not just about love and peace, which he is about those things, but he's also challenging, and he's disruptive. Could I get the next slide, please? Cool. There we go. Today's text certainly fits that bill. It's what's traditionally called the parable of the unjust steward, and I'm going to call it the parable of the dishonest manager, which is a more contemporary translation, and I think it sort of allows us to step into the story a bit easier as well. It's often called, as Keith said, Jesus' hardest parable. And as we'll see, it's about as topsy-turvy and as challenging and as disruptive as it gets. You can guess why this might not be in children's Bibles, for example. Make friends through dishonest wealth, kids, just like Jesus. So the manager of a wealthy man's estate is about to get fired. We don't know why. The manager could be lazy, he could be corrupt or incompetent. It doesn't really say. But regardless, he's going to lose his job based on bad performance. So his boss, the wealthy owner, calls him in and tells him to prepare one final report for his exit interview. Have it on my desk by Friday at 4. And after that, he can clear out his desk and find a new job. And so the manager panics like any of us would. He's only white collar material. He's too weak for construction. He's terrified at the thought of having to beg on the street. So out of sheer terror for his future, he concocts a nice little scheme. Since his boss wants one last report, the manager decides to cook the books to make sure he isn't left out in the cold. Oh, there we go. You're already on it. Wonderful. Uh, that was, this is like, this is, anyway. This is pandering. That's a pandering image. Anyway. So one by one, he calls in some of their biggest accounts, and he asks out how much each of them owe. Then he starts tossing out discounts, left and right, kind of like Oprah, you know, look under your chair and, you know. A <laughs> hundred jugs of olive oil, he says. Let's go half it off, make half off, make it 50. 100 containers of wheat to another? Today I'm giving you 20% off. Call it 80, and we're square. Discount after discount, client after client. And since he's the authorized corporate representative, he has signing authority, his boss will have to legally honor the contracts. I mean, that's one way to get back at the boss for firing you. I mean, it reminds me of that country song, take this job and shove it. Um, But it's even more devious than simple payback, which, I mean, it's brilliant just for that. The manager is actually buying himself friends, friends who, who can help him out when he gets his pink slip. Maybe one client will remember him and have a couch to surf on. Maybe one will be able to give him a loan to keep him from hitting rock bottom and make the mortgage. Or maybe one of them might have a job for him in the front office to keep him afloat. Essentially, he's using his master's wealth to win friends and influence people, buying some allies to pad his landing when he's finally tossed off the job. So first, there's theft, there's lying, and there's just radical self-interest. What this guy does is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And he does it just to save his skin. It's bad. It's very, very bad. The only thing worse than this deceit, though, is his boss's reaction. We'll have the next slide. There you go. When the boss finds all this out, he doesn't call security to have him escorted out of the building. He doesn't call the company lawyer to see if they can untangle this mess and sue this guy for everything he's got. No, the boss slaps the manager on the back. The owner, it says, doesn't condemn him. He commends him for his shrewdness, for his wisdom, his cunning. Great job, he says. High five. Maybe I should keep you around after all. So like I said, it's bad. Not only did the manager lie, cheat, and steal, the guy he cheated, lied to, and stole from, thought the whole scam was brilliant. And just like that, he keeps him on staff, which not only rewards him for his dishonesty, it's also a breach of trust for his clients, who expect when they're dealing with him that they're not going to get swindled. I mean, what kind of people are these people? No matter how you look at it, it's bad ethics. It's bad character and it's bad business all around. Bad, 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 bad. It's bad. But wait, there's more. Believe it or not, it gets even worse than that. It gets worse because when Jesus actually finishes the parable, When Jesus offers us his interpretation. I mean, you expect Jesus of all people, you know, to condemn the actions of the people in this parable, to have these guys thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But that's not what happens. Instead, Jesus tells this little seedy story of corruption. He takes a breath. And then he says to the disciples, you see, this guy is on to something. Folks like this are far shrewder at dealing with this world than you, children of light, are. So take a cue from the dishonest manager, he says, and get out there to make some friends with dishonest wealth. Here we expected Jesus to give us a little public service announcement on the importance of honesty and fair dealing. But instead of condemning the lying, the cheating, and stealing, Jesus commands the manager in exactly the same way his boss does in the parable. Bad, 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 bad. It doesn't make sense, so no wonder it's called the hardest parable, because it doesn't actually make much sense according to what we know about Jesus and what we understand about the world. It doesn't make sense, at least not according to the way we see the world. Here we see a dishonest giveaway But maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point because parables like this one are told to jar us, to wake us up. One friend of mine once said that Jesus' parables are like tiny little verbal explosives. Jesus tosses them like a little stick of TNT to blow away our preconceived notions of who God is. And how the world works, or at least how the world should work. I'll have the next slide, please. There we go. Because we expect the world to operate by certain rules. Rules that mirror the rules of commerce. First, there's the world of literal debts, where everyone who's, in, who's deep in them must pay up, even if it will ruin their lives even if life circumstances bad dealings or a corrupt system led to it but there are also other kinds of debts debts in the form of trespasses against us people who have done us wrong and hurt us hurt the people we love or society itself an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus says in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because that's how we operate both spiritually and physically. In either case, we see life as a ledger. We see it between red and red and black. Either someone owes us something or we're in the spiritual hole. What this parable shows us though, is that God doesn't operate by the same rules as us. With God it ain't business as usual. One of my favorite writers, Father Robert Capon, says that the dishonest manager is, quote, nothing less than the Christ figure in this parable. You see the dishonest manager? Insert Jesus in there. Not only does he die and rise again, he says, in the sense of losing his job and regaining it again, he also brings others clients, debtors, into new life with him. But most importantly, Capon says, the dishonest manager is the Christ figure because he is a crook. Of course, Jesus is a literal crook dying a criminal's death on a cross at the hands of church and state. But in another sense, Jesus is a crook like the dishonest manager because he refuses to play by the world's rules. He refuses to take the world on its own terms. Rather than collecting on debts, Jesus proclaims a jubilee, the erasure of accounts, spiritual and otherwise. Rather than stockpiling judgments and exacting punishments, he subsidizes the forgiveness of sins. And rather than exacting vengeance, he loves his enemies. And he pronounces that same word of forgiveness even to those who murdered him on the cross. And in doing so, Jesus cashes out on the ancient cycle of revenge and retribution altogether. And in the end, God, the great owner and giver to whom all creation belongs, says, You done good. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Pleased. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Good job, Mr. Manager. Where we expect the world to operate through debt and payment, both literal and figurative, this parable shows us that God operates by gift, by the erasure of debts, by mercy and forgiveness, making friends, like the clients in the parable, out of us, out of the very people who already owe God everything in the first place. I mean, think about your own experience. Many of us grew up in church, but a lot of us didn't. And for most, what has drawn us to church and drawn us to God are acts of self-giving, of extravagant generosity. Where people have surprised us by helping us out when we were out of money or on the street. Where someone took the time to actually give a damn about us when no one else would. Where someone came to pray with us or someone we loved in the hospital or somebody showed the healing power of forgiveness to unload the heavy burdens that they carried. Or we saw a soup kitchen just... Giving away food for nothing. Worst business waddle ever. To people who never did anything to deserve it in the first place. Bad, 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 bad. But in each and every case, somebody, like the dishonest manager, like Jesus, went against the grain of the world of give and take. And surprised us, blew us away with such extravagance. Somebody broke the rules. Somebody broke the bank and said goodbye to an eye for an eye. And lo and behold, somehow, we ended up as friends with God. As friends of God. Because that's God's business. That's the way God works. God operates by grace, taking our notions of fairness and turning them right on their head. It doesn't make sense by the world operate by the way the world operates, but according to Scripture, it's the only way our lives will ever be healed. And it's the only way the world will ever be set right through the forgiveness of debts. It's the only way. And so, with all of that in mind. Jesus is inviting us to join in and do the same. To take on the family business. But it's not like any other family business we've ever known. It's more like what C.S. Lewis, author of the Narnia books, once said. He said, Enemy-occupied territory, that is what the world is. And Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say, landed in disguise. And is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. And I think you might as well have been talking about this parable. Because here we're invited by this king in the disguise of a thief. Into this crooked family business. One whose mission statement is the sabotage of the cosmic status quo of retribution, of violence, of debts, The turning over tables, the redemption and renewal of humanity in all creation. Jesus says that just like the rich and powerful use their wealth and prestige to make friends, we are to use our own dishonest wealth to recruit more and more dishonest Managers, people who are willing to break the rules, just like Jesus. So take what you've been given, Jesus says. Take your money, take your time, take your God-given talents, take even those things that others have done to hurt you and cause you pain, take it all and just start giving it away. Give yourselves a way to make friends of God in the same way that God has made friends out of you. Take the grace you've been given and, like the dishonest manager, spread it around. Because now, that's the business that you're in. Because that's the business of God. And that's the business of God's people the church. And I realize this all sounds very foolish. Giving away everything you've got sounds like the worst possible business plan ever. I mean, could you see me with these charts? I'll be like, no, they, they all go down. Uh, the church is, it gets money, and then it gives it away. Uh, it spends on Grace and uh, Soup Kitchen, too. It's just they're, they're in the hole every single day. It's the worst possible business plan ever. Discount all debts. Forgive trespasses against you. Keep handing credit to the world going deeper and deeper in hawk. It'll never fly in any boardroom anywhere. But this, Jesus says, is the way that God does business. God's business is the reconciliation of all things. And this is the only way it's going to get done, for now and all eternity. It sounds like foolishness, but as Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So thank God for this, the hardest parable. And thank God for the foolishness of God. Amen.